0: Good morning. It's already been mentioned that this is the second Sunday of Lent. Lent is 40 days in the Christian calendar when we use ancient spiritual disciplines, disciplines like fasting and prayer, giving repentance, silence, to prepare ourselves to observe our Lord's death and resurrection in Holy Week. And Lent always makes us aware of our need, and something we all need is precisely what we find in our Old Testament passage this morning. Specifically, it's the need to find personal identity and meaning in life. So I would invite you to look with me at our Genesis text and let's begin by noticing five simple things that stand out as we read this text together. One. Notice that Abram's story begins with God's initiative. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram. That's how it starts. Now this happens to be the very first mention of Abram in the Bible. Well, okay, that's not technically fully correct. There are a couple of verses in the previous chapter, Genesis 11, that mention him, but they're just a genealogy. In other words, it's his name and a list of names. So it's here that his story actually begins. And his story, as I've pointed out, begins with God's initiative. We're told nothing of Abram's birth and childhood, nothing about his education and work experience, nothing like that as we would expect when someone's story gets started. Instead, as his story begins, Abram is a passive character in the plot, and it's the Almighty who takes the initiative and sets the trajectory for the entire narrative. Abram's story begins when God takes the initiative and calls him to himself. Okay, Number two, God's initiative and call is personal. Notice that repeatedly God speaks in the first person throughout this text. Verse one, go to the land that I will show you. Verse two, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Verse seven, to your offspring, I will give this land. In other words, God's call to Abram is not some sort of vague religious experience or mystical sensation. Rather, it's a word from the personal, infinite God who actually exists to a person who really lived in history. God's initiative and his call is personal. All right? Third, God's initiative and call is not just personal, it's also decisive. There's no hint here that this is some sort of divine suggestion to Abram. Uh, I wonder if it might be nice if you were to leave this place and go somewhere else. And I know this is probably a new idea for you, so I wonder what you're thinking about it. But as I say, I happen to think it would be good, at least in the long haul. So I'd really appreciate it if you'd consider it. No, it doesn't happen that way. Not at all. Go is the word from God, and Abram went. God's initiative and call is both deeply personal and intensely decisive. Four fourth thing to notice is that God's call to Abram sets him on a journey. Notice how, The author of Genesis carefully crafts their prose by piling on phrases so as not to merely inform us of Abram's trip, but to sweep us along with him in our imagination as we read about how Abram travels as a nomad across hundreds of miles of the ancient Middle East. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 4. So Abram went. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 5, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land. Verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country. Verse 9, and Abram journeyed on, still going towards the north. Do you see how he piles on these phrases? This scripture consists of only nine short verses, but arranged throughout are words and phrases to accentuate movement to being on the way to a journey that by the end of verse nine still hasn't come to an end. The text ends, but Abram still hasn't arrived. His journey continues. So God's personal, decisive call to Abram sets him on a journey that will consume and define his entire life. And five, God's initiative in calling Abram forever defined Abram's identity and meaning in his life. I mean, consider what happened here. This call to Abram changes everything for him. Or could we imagine someone going through this and then passing it off as some minor thing that's hardly worth mentioning? Yeah, well, God called me in the morning and later that day I took my nephew a lot out for a round of golf. So all in all, it was a pretty good day. No, 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 no. This is not the sort of thing that it's talking about. Did we not notice what God said in his call? Verse two, God says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's call becomes Abram's identity and meaning and will be his identity and life's meaning not just for the rest of his life but actually for world without end. By the way, notice that you and I are actually mentioned in this text. In Abram, God says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed and that includes us. We are part of the families of the earth across the nations that have appeared since Abram's day. This is Abram's story, but God inserts us into the narrative. Now, I'm going to circle back around to this in a few minutes and talk about it now, but for now, keep it in mind. We're here in Abram's story, and I'm going to argue it makes all the difference. Now, if you read more of Abram's story, and I hope you do, You'll discover that as he continues on his journey, 24 years from this day, God meets him again. And once again, it involves his identity and the meaning of his life. In Genesis 17, we read this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham a wonder of wonders, from this time on, God the Almighty, the one beyond all-knowing, this one chose to be known in history and in Scripture as the God of Abraham. You want to refer to God? It's the God of Abraham. And it's the name he has chosen and accepted. And that, I would accept for Abram, is meaning and identity on steroids. (laughs) But all this now just reveals a bit of a problem, doesn't it? I don't know about you, I need meaning and identity on steroids, but I sure need them in my life. And in fact, I'm lost without it. My sense of personal significance, my very existence in fact, seems to fade away into the shadows unless I have a sense of purpose more robust than the fickle vicissitudes of modern life. And without it, I have no way to plot the direction of my journey into the future of what to say no to and what to say yes to among all the myriad options that threaten to crowd my schedule and drown my serenity. So, we're faced with our need, and I would argue this is a need that's not unique to ancient nomadic peoples in the Middle East. It is rather a deeply human need common to us all. Human beings can't simply abandon the search for meaning in life, John Hapgood writes, without losing something essential to our humanness. And it must be robust enough not to crumble in hard times or when disappointment overwhelms or when suffering of some sort descends and smashes our plans and dreams. We do not and cannot flourish as persons without it. Psychology Today reports recently that research shows that, quote, the sense that one is living a worthwhile life appears to be positively linked to just about every aspect of our lives, including our health. Abram's story of God's call that set him on a meaningful journey suggests that this isn't primarily a cognitive issue but an existential and living one. I don't think that most people want to understand the meaning of life intellectually, Linda and Charlie Bloom write in Psychology Today. They, quote, want to experience meaning by being fully alive, end quote. I think that's exactly correct. A sense of significance in the journey from birth to death requires more than a seminar with PowerPoint slides. Abram's call began in a moment of insight, but then it unfolded over an entire lifetime. And this allowed him to live into his identity and purpose over time as he journeyed, discovering what it meant and what it required of him. The problem is, how are we, how are you and I going to find something like this? Now, the beliefs and values of our consumerist society propose that our identity and meaning can be found in either our work, what we accomplish and do, or in what we own and what we do with it. Now, it's true that our work, paid or unpaid, might be meaningful in the lives of others, and there are times in which that does give us some sense of purpose. I, I quite agree with that. And even owning a home that provides security and welcome to people can be very significant in a world that's full of fragmented relationships where so many are so very, very lonely. But there's a hidden problem here. All that we do and accomplish and all that we own and use and consume is transitory, temporary and soon it's gone and forgotten. Haven't you noticed that? If we can be certain of anything in this life, it's that everything fades away in the relentless passage of time. In fact, I'm finding that as we age, we fade away too. I'm in my 70s now. A period I've started thinking of affectionately as my age of diminishment. One of the things that was supposed to be funny, but it's okay to laugh, I laugh at it too. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I love have loved doing in my professional work is teaching courses on film and theology at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis which is my alma mater. And there are more few things more satisfying to me and stimulating to me than standing in front of a classroom of young bright graduate students who are full of questions and a desire to learn. The problem is that as I have aged my memory has started to well, let's just say my memory increasingly needs Google, okay? <laughs> I used to be able to remember the names of all the movies and who starred in them, and the basic plot lines. A couple of months back, a friend asked me if I'd seen a movie, and it sounded a little familiar, but I said I didn't think so. So he gave me a quick synopsis of the film, and that sounded awfully familiar, but I still didn't think so. And later, after we had talked for a while longer, I looked it up by... I happened to record every film I watch in my calendar. So I checked, and sure enough, I had seen it. In fact, I had watched it the previous week. <laughs> if the seminary invites me to teach the class again, I'm thinking of declining. Can you imagine me leading a Q&A session there? I can think of more edifying experiences, let me tell you. No, I would suggest that our work and our accomplishments, though they are significant, please don't get me wrong, and they can have great purpose. And what we own and consume and use to the glory of God, which can also be very significant, I, I, I'm not trying to put that down. Even bundled together still are not in themselves fully capable of providing a sufficient, a sufficient sense of meaning and identity for the journey of life in our modern world of advanced modernity there is an even deeper problem. The leading thinkers and scientists of our day tell us that the cosmos in which we exist is actually devoid of all purpose. And so we must conjure personal meaning out of the ultimate meaninglessness of existence. Brian Green, who is professor of physics and mathematics at Columbia University, just published a book, Until the End of Time, mind and matter, and our search for meaning in an evolving universe. It's a fascinating book, and I'm learning a great deal from him as a non-scientist. He says this on the second to the last page. As we hurtle towards a cold and barren cosmos, we must accept that there is no grand design. Particles are not endowed with purpose. But this morning, With the story of Abram in mind, I beg to differ. It is here that the Christian perspective on reality presents a very different possibility. Don't misunderstand, I believe in particles. And what the Nicene Creed says are quote, all things visible. But I don't believe that reality is limited only to the narrow horizons of matter and energy and time. In other words, to particles alone. I also believe in what the creed describes as, quote, of all things invisible, and it is this difference, it seems to me, that makes all the difference in the world. The Christian perspective of reality and life is not reductive, but it's expansive, not temporary, but permanent, not merely finite, but actually partaking of infinity. In other words, if God exists and if he created and loved us, loves us, then when he calls us to himself in a cosmos animated by his significance and presence and purpose, we will be granted a sense of identity and meaning that vastly exceeds all we could possibly develop for ourselves. And that is what I wish to proclaim this morning. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to unpack our other two texts but if I could, I would show you how they provide the necessary links to bring the story of Abram's call by God into our lives and experience. In our Romans text, St. Paul demonstrates that the underlying dynamic is not found in anything Abram did, but in his willingness to believe the promises of God. And in our gospel text, Jesus explains that when we believe in him, we are born into an entire new way of life. The dynamic for Abram and for us is actually identical. Remember verse 2 God tells Abram, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Now, what is the blessing that blesses all the families of the earth, including us? In a word, it is salvation, salvation in Christ. Abram believed God's promise, looking forward in time, in faith to the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised one. We believe God's promise, looking backward in time, in faith to the coming of the promised one, Jesus Christ the dynamics the same this means that the christian answer to the human need for identity and meaning is found not in the passing value of our accomplishments but in his personal and decisive call to us to himself in christ god calls us in christ he calls you in christ he calls me Into relationship with him so that like Abram so many centuries ago, we become God's people and he becomes our God. If you have never heard this before, then I'm really very glad this morning to be the one to tell you. And please hear it. God calls you to himself in a personal relationship in Jesus Christ. And it is in this personal and decisive relationship that we find our identity and meaning and begin a journey towards our final home. This call to God, to himself, changes everything. I mean, for example, it means, for example, that... I can work faithfully in my vocation, whatever it is, sales or science, art or engineering, carpentry or medicine, at home or in the marketplace. And as I do, it's not merely a job or a career, but kingdom work as surely as if I was a pastor or a missionary or a martyr. When we live by faith, when we day by day live believing that God's perspective on life and reality is true, we are demonstrating that the seen and the unseen realms are one reality as they truly are. And in the process, the work of our hands transcends the mere here and now. Do you you see the wonder of that? Our journey is in time, but we leave footprints in eternity providing for those with eyes to see a glimmer of glory that comes only from the presence of the divine. Well, you might respond, well, I just don't see it. I don't see any glimmer. And I would say, well, we live in a fallen world where the shadows of brokenness and disappointment hang over everything. And try as we might, we see only as though through a windowpane that's smudged and grimy. And here we arrive at the edge of the mystery of reality. Because you see, whether or not we see it, the God who calls us to himself as his people, to a journey where he walks with us the entire way as our God, this God assures us that he sees it, and so all is well. All we need is the audience of One. And this is what he asks us to believe and to journey through life living day by day as if it were true. There's one more detail that I need to mention as I close. Remember when Abram received a new name? That's coming for us too. When the king returns, when our journey is over and we have reached our final home, Listen to this from St. Paul's Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers by faith, I will give a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Imagine it. I, I don't know if this is a metaphor. If the white stone symbolizes something else, that would be okay Or whether it's an actual stone. I really don't care. But imagine it. Imagine the one with the marks of the crucifixion on his hands will give us a stone. And it's not random. He's not just going to dump a bunch of pebbles out and let us scramble for them. It will be personal and decisive. He'll give me a stone. And he's going to give you a stone. And on it will be our new name. My new name. Your new name. The name given by him to us. That we will use in the new heavens. and the new earth forever. World without end. So beloved of God. I don't know about you. But if this isn't identity and meaning enough. I really can't imagine what would be.